So we've been in this series for a couple weeks talking about money, and the title of the series is called The Root because of this famous phrase that we all know. I mean, you've heard it time and time again, I'm sure. It's a phrase that people say, money is the root of all evil. I know you've heard this one, but as we've been identifying over the past couple of weeks, that's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 6 says something different. Let's put that up on the screen. I'll show it to you one more time. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, and it doesn't even say all evil. It says all kinds of evil. And it's not just money, it's the love of money, and it's not the root, it's a root. And so what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've been recognizing that evil has many causes, but One of those causes is money problems. And money problems have many causes, but one of those causes is a heart problem. Because it's the love of money that's a root of all kinds of evil. And so if we are trying to get rid of evil in the world, if we're trying to get rid of evil in us, then at some point in time we're going to have to deal with our money problems. But we can't just deal with our money problems because money is not the root cause. In fact, it's the heart. There's something in our hearts that is the root behind all of the money problems, which is the root behind a whole lot of evil problems in the world. And so for the past few weeks, we've been dealing with the heart condition that's underneath all these other things. And we've been reading a couple passages from the Bible about money to try to unpack what our heart issues really are. And so I'll just do a little bit of review with you. The first week we learned that greed is the major problem. Greed, this desire for more, is the major problem. But the biggest problem about greed is that it ruins relationships. It can ruin your faith. It can just cause all kinds of grief. But... There's a solution. And the solution to greed are these two little words, trust and gratitude. So then our second week, we tried to find out, well, what is the secret behind trust and gratitude? What are some of the behaviors that we can live out that uh, bring trust and gratitude into our lives? And the answer that we found through Scripture was this principle called tithing. It's the idea that the first 10% of everything that comes into my life goes straight back to God. Because if I get that back to God ASAP, then I'm trusting Him to take care of me with what's left over. Secondarily, if I get that straight back to God ASAP, then I'm being grateful to God for the amount that He's brought to me. And by doing it percentage-based, I'm like, God, I'm, if you want to bless me with more, I'm going to end up giving you more. I mean, that's just the way this relationship works. And so we learned that tithing is like the fundamental biblical principle for expressing trust and gratitude. But then last week, we realized that tithing was too small an amount. Tithing is only 10%. And as a matter of fact, God claims ownership over everything. God claims ownership over all of our lives, including all of our finances. And so then it was like, well, okay, so what do I do? I mean, do I just give all of it away? No, the key from last week was that we're not supposed to give all of it away. We're supposed to give all of it up. God is supposed to be in charge of all of our resources, all of our wealth. He's supposed to be in charge. And then what we do is we manage what he brings into our hands. So we tithe. We experience trust and gratitude that way. We manage what is left over for God and for his purposes in this world. And then today we're going to cover this last little piece. 
And I say it's the last little piece uh, because it kind of encompasses all of the heart issues with our money. But at the same time, in, it's kind of the most important piece for us experientially. It's the question of security. You see, when I'm thinking about money, when I'm talking about money, especially if I'm talking with Christians, Christians understand the principles of tithing, and if they don't practice the full 10% tithe, they at least practice some form of giving back to God. And Christians that I speak to, they understand the value of giving to the poor, and so they'll participate in things like Christmas for Everyone or other things that we do to try to raise money for people who have extra special needs of some kinds. And Christians understand that. But even Christians still feel like money and security are very closely linked. And they've got a really good reason to think that. Because in our society, it is that way. In our society, the more money you have, the more likely you are to have better health outcomes. You can get a better doctor. You can get better medicine. You can get to the hospital sooner. You can even take a helicopter if you want to get to a better hospital. If you want to get some experimental treatment, you can do that. If you have enough money, your health outcomes are better. You can eat better food. You can go to a better gym or even go to a gym in the first place. You can have a better job. If you have more money, then a lot of other benefits come about. The benefits of security, the benefits of having a a home in a safer neighborhood, having better doctors, better insurance, better cars, all this kinds of stuff. And so we justifiably associate money with security. And if we ever begin to talk about, you know, giving away my money or or giving to the poor, there's a part of us that says in our hearts, underneath and behind it all, but I don't want to make myself vulnerable. I I might want to give away some, but I I don't want to give so much that I make myself vulnerable. Because we all believe this. That money and security are intrinsically linked with each other. And we've been trained that way. And so today, one of my main jobs is to train us all differently. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, the same chapter that talks about money being, the love of money being a root of all kinds of evil. Just a few verses later, Paul says to Timothy in verse 17 something that Timothy is supposed to command people. So, since Timothy is a pastor, Paul says, Timothy, you're supposed to command some people to do this particular thing. And so as a result, my job is also to command you and me to do this very same thing. Paul's commanding Timothy to command others. It gets written down, and now it's a command to us to command each other. You ready to see what it is? It's scary. I got to warn you. This is one of those moments where God is just about to take hold of your entire financial life, and it might not be comfortable. Let's take a look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, says this, command those who are rich in this present world, and that's where all of us shut off, right? That's where all of us shut off. That's where we say, oh, well, I'm not rich. 
I'm not rich, so therefore, you know, this, this passage doesn't apply to me. No, 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 no. I'm just going to daydream until he's done reading it. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. And you've got to remember, when Paul is writing to Timothy, what rich means. Rich means you own property. Rich means you are not a slave you have servants or slaves or employees, depending on the context. You, uh, rich means that you, you have people who work for you. Rich means that you don't necessarily have to work 365 days out of the year just so that you can eat 365 days out of the year. You have enough money that you can wait at least a couple days before you need to do more work. Rich means that you have these sorts of things going on in your life. That was rich for the people in Timothy's day. And if it didn't make it absolutely clear to you by this point, all of us are in that category. Every single one of us qualifies as rich according to what Paul is writing to Timothy. Because every single one of us has people working for us. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't own my own business. Some of you don't own your own businesses. And you're like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't run my own business. I don't have people working for me. Oh, yes, you do. When you go to Target, all those people in Target who are putting the things on the shelves, they're working for you. All those people who are up at the cash register taking your money and giving you your stuff, they're working for you. They might be working for Target, but they're actually working for you because you're the reason they're there. Here's the thing. Every single one of us qualifies as rich. And so even though your riches are not as rich as someone else's riches, that doesn't make you not rich. So let's just start this one over again. Because Paul is commanding Timothy to command people to do something. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, I want to analyze, with you just, analyze this passage with you just a little bit more. So let's go back to the previous slide, the beginning of the passage, and I want to show you just some details of how this passage works. He says, command those who are rich, we already talked about that, not to be arrogant. Well, we all know that money can make you prideful. Money can make us prideful. So get over it. Just because you have some, you can't be arrogant. And if you don't have enough, that doesn't mean you are somehow less important. Pride is no relationship to money. Just get that away. But secondarily, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And here's the thing. For some reason... We believe in our society today that money is linked with security. And Paul is telling us that that is exactly wrong. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more today as we move through this message. But the point Paul is trying to make is that money is just unreliable. It is not worth putting your hope into it because it can fail you. If any of you have invested in cryptocurrency this year, some of you are like, man, that was a smart move. And some of you are like, man, that was a dumb move because that's just the way things in this world work. It is un 
reliable. Now, I know we feel like it's reliable, so I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. But let's go back to that. Verse 17 again. Let's put it up on the screen. It says, but to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And this is another one of those verses that's a little bit weird because, okay, sure, God has provided all the things for us. God is the ultimate source of all the things that we have. But does he really richly provide for me? Because I don't feel too rich. You know, I, I, feel, I feel adequately taken care of, but I don't feel rich, right? And so we can feel skeptical about this phrase too, but Paul is saying, no, God is in the business of giving you everything you need for your enjoyment. Now that's weird too, because I thought being a Christian meant not having any more fun. And yet here, this passage is telling me that God is somehow in the business of my enjoyment. How does that work? Or then eventually it says, command them to be generous, being rich in good deeds, because, let's go to the next verse, because if they are, they will lay up for themselves treasure in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age so they can experience real life. See, there's a better kind of life, a real kind of life that is available to us that Paul is promising. Now, the problem with all these things is that it's hard for me to believe it. It's hard for me to trust it. Because I've been raised in a world where ultimate security comes from money. And I've been raised in a world where enjoyment is something I have to get for myself. Other people can give me surprises, but the problem with surprises is that surprises never meet my specific, unique enjoyment. It's much better when I put things on my wish list and you just buy what's on my wish list right? Because if you buy the other thing for me, yeah, it kind of covers the same basic genre of thing, but it's not the one that I wanted because I have been raised in a world to be very specific about my greed, to be very specific about my coveting. And so can I really trust that God is going to be able to provide for my enjoyment? And let's just be honest with each other. Can we really trust that what we invest in this world down here ends up building for us an eternal, firm foundation for a future life that is real life? On a daily basis, I have not been trained to, to think such ways. But I want to reaffirm to you that the Apostle Paul did not make up these words when he wrote them to Timothy. He was merely echoing what Jesus had said. Let me take you to the book of Matthew where I want to show you the things that Jesus directly said about this concept. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 19 through 20. Put it up here. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what's fascinating about this passage is that this is the passage that preachers use all the time when they're talking about money. I saved it to the fourth week of this whole series, but preachers use it all the time when they're talking about money because of that thing at the end. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your, your treasure leads your heart. And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But before I get to that part, I want to outline for you that what 
what Jesus said here is exactly the same thing that Paul said. There are three very specific ways why it's inappropriate for us to put our hope in earthly wealth. Okay, number one, earthly wealth has a big problem in that earthly wealth can be lost. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Earthly wealth can be lost. Um, We believe, you know, that earthly wealth is reliable and it's consistent and it's something that I can, you know, trust because I just got to be honest with you. I have a credit card and that credit card number has been stolen a couple times, right? And so I called the card company. I called the credit card company. I'm like, I didn't make that purchase. And they said, fine, have your money back. I took my money back and I canceled that card and I opened up another card because credit cards give me so much security. I tell you what, I don't need to, I don't need to go out of the house with any sort of worry about any sort of financial anything as long as I got my driver's license, my health insurance card probably, and my credit card, I'm good to go. I can just be about anywhere in the world because man, as long as you got visa, you go anywhere. And we have this idea, this idea that money is reliable, that money is secure, but it's not. You know, we even have been trained that rich people can survive bankruptcies. I've been fascinated by this truth. A person with billions of dollars can go through a bankruptcy and on the other end of the bankruptcy have billions of dollars. I really wonder why that works, how that that happens, but it, it does. Everything about our world has trained us to think that the more money you have, the more security you have. And Jesus says it's wrong. So I want to just remind you of one very important thing. I can look at the rich people in this world who seem to be super secure, but here's the really important thing. You're not one of them, and I'm not one of them. And Jesus has his own business with them. Jesus is going to hold them to account too. But just because there are some people in this world who look so secure doesn't mean money will ever bring you or me security. Jesus is working on us because he loves us in a way that's unique to us. And all of us know that in truth, money can fail us at any point in time. I'll get to that in just a little bit. Because see, the next thing that Jesus says is that heavenly treasure is certain. Heavenly treasure is certain. And my problem is that I feel like earthly treasure is certain. And again, I was brought up this way. When I was younger, money was a weird thing. I don't know if any of you you are as old as I am or as experienced in the world as I am, but, but I'll tell you a little story. When I was a kid... Um, money actually, it existed in like little pieces of green paper. And there, was, there were also these like little circles of metal that were called coins and these little pieces of green paper called dollars. And we would go to the store and my mom would have what she called a wallet 
in her purse, and inside the wallet she kept a variety of these little pieces of green paper and a variety of these little discs of metal. And we would go through the store and I would see the toy that I wanted and I would say to my mom, Mom, can I have the toy? And she would say these magical words. She would say, I can't get you the toy. I don't have enough money. And I knew exactly what that meant. All of those little pieces of paper in her purse, in her wallet, she could take them out and she could give them to the cash register lady or person or whoever it was, give them to the cash register person, and then we would get our groceries and we would go home. But she didn't have enough of these little pieces of paper to get the groceries and also to get my little toy that I wanted. And so I accepted it. I understood it. It was fine. You just simply don't have enough of the little pieces of paper in order to get the little plastic toy. That's the way the world works. And I grew up thinking that there was this really reliable thing that was this piece of paper that could get you the food or the toy, whichever one you wanted, but it couldn't somehow get you both. You, you had to choose. And so I grew up in this world, and then, oh, some magic happened. I, I still basically remember, like, I don't know if I remember the very, very first day, but I remember one of the first days I was in the grocery store with my mom, and we're at the cash register, and she pulls out something that is not her wallet. It's a different little book. It's thinner, and it's like just a whole bunch of paper attached to something else. And she, she writes her name on it and she writes a number on it and she ripped it off and gave it to the cash register person. And all of a sudden I'm like, what did you just do? And she goes, I wrote a check. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I wrote a check. The bank has our money. And so I wrote a number on this check that tells this store that they can go to my bank and the bank will give them that much money for this. And I'm like, holy cow, you've got all those little sheets of green, thing, green, green paper and coins and whatnot in the bank. And then you just write this little piece of paper. So my mom didn't have to bring the money with her. She had the piece of paper that was access to the money. And I'm like, well, mom, you can just make it, add another dollar to that. You know, get me this pack of gum. And then she was like, no, we don't have any money. We don't have enough money. And I didn't believe her. I was like, no, you have enough money. You just, you just need to write a different number. That's all you have to do. Just write a different number in that little box. You've already signed it. Just put a different number in that box and I get my toy. All of a sudden, money began to be something different. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've experienced this at some point in your life. Maybe your experience was the first time you saw a credit card being operated, the first time you went to an ATM machine and money came out of it, the first time that uh, you did any one of these sorts of things electronically. We now live in a world where everything is electronic, and as a result, it somehow feels more secure. And I'll tell you why. It's because all of our money has boiled down to one principle. There's an authority figure, bank, visa, federal government. There's an authority figure that tells you your number, and you believe it. Some authority figure tells you your number, and you believe it. And so you go to the store, and you know your number, and you use whatever your method is, 
And you tell the person at the other, you know, doing the cash register thing, you tell them, my number is big enough. Here, you can process my numbers. And they have authority figures that tell them what their numbers are, and they trust, their authority figures trust your authority figures. And if you go high enough, it's the same authority figure. It's still the American currency, still governed by the federal government. And so the, uh, the authority figures now tell them that they can trust your authority figures. And so what they do is they believe that your number is real. And they believe that their number is real. And they do their, their exchange of belief. And then you walk away with your stuff just because everybody believed the numbers were real. Now the question is, Is there any authority figure more trustworthy than the federal government? Do we have any authority figure that we might be able to look to who might somehow be able to say, I've got a different number. I've got a better number. I've got a more reliable number. I've got a number that only ever goes up and never goes down. I've got a number that is secure and solid no matter what. I've got a number that you could invest your earthly wealth into and gain some increasing number that only ever increases. Is there an authority figure that you can think of who might be saying, trust my number, not that number? That's what Jesus is saying. See, somehow we have drawn this conclusion in our hearts that the earthly stuff is secure, and yet it's all based on insecure authority. But there is an authority figure who promises to you, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing gets at it, where nothing destroys it. It only ever increases in value. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he gets to the final phrase, the phrase that so many pastors love to teach, the phrase that I myself love to think about even though it's hard for me to live. It is that your treasure leads your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or another way to phrase it is this. Earthly wealth will tie down your heart. Earthly wealth will tie down your heart. See, our hearts are like a balloon. We are being called towards heaven. We are, we are longing for heaven. We want to reach heaven. We, we have our direction. Our, our trajectory is set to go to heaven. And yet, there's so much of this world down here that is just holding us back. Earlier this year, I, I know you know this, there was a stock market surge around GameStop and AMC, right? So I've got this friend who never talks to me about stocks, ever. We never talk about financial things. We always talk about other stuff. Never talk about financial things. But this last year, just to sort of ride the train a little bit, uh, my friend bought one share of stock in one of those things. I can't even remember if it was AMC or GameStop or one of those. Just one, uh, one share just to see where this, if this thing was going to ride you know, to the moon, I guess they say. But anyway, so he got one of these stocks and I immediately felt sad because the very next day, the stock started going down. And for the rest of the year, Every now and then, there's a little bit of a comment about how that AMC stock is doing. And it's just the point that we have never, ever, 
ever talked about stocks before this last year, and one stock was purchased, and that's all it took to add that to our conversation. And now sometimes we talk about stocks. Sometimes we talk about stock market stuff. Because all you have to do is put a little bit of money in something, and instantly your heart is there. Instantly you're drawn to it. We know this to be true. We know that our money leads our heart. We know that heavenly wealth is more certain than earthly wealth. But we still feel like we can't trust that God really has our back when it comes to money. We still feel like we need the earthly wealth for our security. And so I'm going to take you back to Timothy. Back into Timothy, I want to show you again what we already saw, but it's just worth repeating. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This promise that God will provide for us richly is the promise that we have such a hard time accepting. But I want to remind you, Paul didn't make up these words. He got it from Jesus. Let me show you. Jesus says all of the money stuff in like a lump of talking that is recorded in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but it's also recorded in Luke. And so I want to take you to Luke right now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, and I want to show you just a little bit about how Jesus addresses this. Luke 12, 27. Jesus says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, seek God's kingdom, and these other things will fall into place. And when He says that, He's talking about material blessings. Jesus is talking about food and clothing. And he says, when you seek the kingdom first, food and clothing will be taken care of. Now, man, I have such a hard time with this. I have a hard time believing this. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I can believe all kinds of things easily. Jesus rose from the dead. I have all kinds of historical evidence for that belief. Jesus does miracles. Because he rose from the dead, I can trust that he did miracles. Jesus promised he's coming back again. Well, because he, because he actually pulled off death and resurrection, then when he promises he's coming back again, I can believe that. There are all kinds of things that Jesus says that I can believe more easily than this simple phrase. Seek the kingdom first, and food and clothing will be taken care of. It is exactly what he said, and I have a hard time with it. And I'll tell you why. There are two things that are true in my life, may be true in your life, that causes me to doubt verses like this. Number one, I doubt this because I see poverty in the world. And I'm afraid 
it could be me. I see poverty in the world, and I'm afraid it could be me. See, there are two things that are going on with that. First of all, I see poverty in the world. That makes me doubt God. Well, God, if you really promise to provide food and clothing, why are there some people without food and clothing? Now, I don't want to judge people, so I don't want to try to evaluate, well, are they really seeking the kingdom of God the way they're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God? Are they doing their part in order for God to do his part? Is this a voodoo situation? Is this, is a, is this one of those things where you scratch God's back and he'll scratch yours? Now, I don't think God ever works that way. He doesn't ever tell us he works that way. And so I just kind of wonder, God, there are poor people in this world. How in the world do poor people exist with this kind of promise that God says, I'll take care of the food, I'll take care of the clothing. You take care of following me. But there's a second piece to that. You know, the second piece is that I'm afraid I'm going to become like them. It's not just that I'm worried that there are poor people in the world, it's also that I'm worried I would become one. See, there's a spectrum. There are rich people, there are poor people, and I'm in the middle. I'm one of these they call the middle class. You know, And even though biblically I'm rich, I'm still not Elon Musk rich, and so I still view myself as the middle. And even though I'm way far away from poverty, I still view myself as in the middle. And, and so as a result, I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't really move in that direction because if I move in that direction, I'm going to become too close to you over there, and, and I don't want to be like you. I'm sorry, I just don't like the life that you're living, and I don't want to be there. And and I really, you know, these people over here, they got something going on, and I, I want to move in this direction, and so I'm hesitant, and I'm hesitant. I kind of just emotionally don't believe the words that God says sometimes because I, I just don't want to move in that direction. I, I just don't want to go there because here's the second thing. I doubt what God's promise is because, you know, I see the wealth of other people, and I'm afraid I'm going to miss out. If I invest too much of my energy in this direction, then I'm not going to have enough energy to move in this direction. And these people have some cool stuff. Have you seen the way they live? Have you seen the cars they drive? Have you seen the houses they have? Have you seen the life they have? Oh my goodness. There's so much in me that's like, I don't want that, I do want that, and if I have the choice, I'm going to do whatever it takes to move in this direction. And so I doubt God. I doubt that God really means what He says, and I justify it. And I come up with all sorts of other ways to get around this. Well, Jesus, you know, he's talking about the really rich people. Those are the ones who are supposed to, you know, and I'm off the hook with that. Or, you know, Jesus is talking about how, you know, the, the people who are faithful, God is going to meet their basic needs, you know, in, in some respects. But, but yeah, he's, yeah, and, and, but I really want to go. And so there's just all this sort of mental doubt, frustration, and frankly, temptation. Maybe you sense some of yourself in how I've just described that. But I want to let you know Jesus actually gave us the answer. See, in Luke chapter, in the chapter we're in, what chapter is it? Luke chapter 12, verse 32, the very next verse, he begins to give us the solution to our own doubt, our own dilemma. Let's take a look at it. It says this, verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. You see? Jesus heard my fear. 
He knows my fear. And he says, first of all, don't be afraid. Secondly, you're just a sheep. I'm the shepherd. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Why are you piddling around with this idea that you want a Tesla and you want to avoid this other kind of thing? There's a kingdom your heavenly father is ready to give you. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what Jesus is saying, and this is so brilliant, so amazing, what Jesus is saying is he says, I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid you're going to miss out. I know you're afraid you're going to become poor. I know you're afraid, but don't let that fear bother you because one, I'm the shepherd, you're just a sheep. And number two, your heavenly father is trying to give you a kingdom. Stop worrying about this stuff down here. Your father is trying to give you a kingdom. He's trying to give you something completely different, completely new. And then Jesus does this thing that's just so He says, you know those poor? You know those poor that you don't want to be like? You know those poor that you're afraid of becoming like? You know those poor that are reasons for you to not believe that I care for the poor? Care for the poor. Jesus says, you're not poor. So take what you've got and care for the poor because that's how I do it. That's how the kingdom roles. That's how the kingdom operates. You're not poor. They are. Do something about it. Don't use the poor as an excuse to doubt God's goodness. Use the poor to display God's goodness. Take advantage of this moment. Take advantage of this situation and say, there's a reason God has allowed them to continue to be poor and it's because I need it. I need to serve, I need to give, I need to get rid of all the stuff that I'm hanging on to in this world because all this stuff is tying me down to this earth and the more I let this stuff tie me down to this earth, the less I will be able to experience the true riches. Oh, Jesus says, by the way, you're looking after all the stuff these people are enjoying? Forget it. Leapfrog over them and get to the true blessings. All of this stuff they've got on this earth, it's going to last a few years, just, just a few years. And then eventually they're dead, the stuff is gone, you just leapfrog right over top of it. Care for the poor and I will move you to real riches. All this stuff in the middle, ignore it, forget it. Jesus says this. The wealth of this world is untrustworthy. Heavenly riches are certain. Jesus says this, the poor in this world are real and that's why you are here. Take care of them. And you're jealous of maybe what you're missing out on over here. Don't you worry. Your heavenly Father is giving you the kingdom. And all of the stuff you think looks so cool, you will have even better. Because God is ready to richly provide you with everything for your enjoyment. I don't know why God wants me to be happy when I have not been so good to Him. But He is a God who wants to put joy on my face, to fill me up with His presence and true life and true riches. And so, here's the final money principle. 
that we have to kind of put into practice, live by. It's just simply this. I'm going to trust God to take care of me as I take care of others. I'm going to trust God to take care of me as I take care of others. And of course, this raises the question, well, how much? You know, how much of my money am I supposed to give away? Jesus said, sell your possessions, but he didn't tell us how many possessions. He didn't tell us, is it all the possessions? Is it just some of the possessions? Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Well, how much, Jesus? How much is good enough? You know, and then I'm in this sort of vein where I'm like, okay, Jesus, what if I, what if I only sold this much? Would that be a problem? Could I still, you know, what's, well, first of all, let me just clarify something. None of this gets you into heaven. All right? Jesus and his grace through his death on the cross and forgiveness that he offers you is the only thing that gets you into heaven. That's the only thing that gets you into the family of God. Stop worrying about that one. What Jesus is talking about is what riches will you have when you get there? What Jesus is talking about is what is heaven going to feel like, be like, look like once you get there? And the more you're tied to the stuff of this earth, the less you're going to have there. And so invest elsewhere. So I'm going to trust that God is going to take care of me for now food, clothing. I'm going to trust that God is going to bless me in the future, and I'm going to take care of other people now. But it, remind, it remains this question, well, how much? How much is enough? First, enough is the wrong question, because enough has an end. When you get to enough, then you stop. And Jesus doesn't want you to stop. He wants, to be you, he wants to help make you into a pipe, a conduit, through which his blessings flow. And so he's going to pour in, you pour out, and just continue to let that happen. There's no enough to that. But I still have practical questions, God. Am I supposed to sell all my possessions? Okay, okay. I'll give you the practical answer as best as I can. You ready? Practical answer number one. Don't be greedy. Cultivate in your life an attitude of trust and gratitude. Practical lesson number two, tithe. Make trust and gratitude an active part of your financial life. Practical answer number three, manage well what he has given to you and use it for his purposes in this world. You've got all kinds of responsibilities. Some of your responsibilities are good ones. Some of the responsibilities you have are bad ones. Some of your debts are good debts. Some of your debts are bad debts. Some of the things that you've gotten yourself into were a good decision. Some of the things you've gotten yourself into were bad decisions. But nonetheless, you have responsibilities and he wants you to take care of them well. So manage well what he has given you. And then fourth, give, 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 give. Find some way to make generosity a part of your life and just continue to take care of the people that God puts into your path. Because as we take care of the people God puts into our path, He has more opportunity to share His blessings with us. More opportunity for us to open up our eyes to the way God is providing for us. You know, in everything, it really boils down to whether or not I'm willing to trust God whether or not I'm willing to actually believe that what Jesus says is real. What he says is actually a promise and not just some wishful thinking kind of thing. It boils down to, am I willing to trust God more than I trust 
the Federal Reserve? Am I willing to trust God more than I trust the means of economic exchange in this world? Am I willing to trust God more than Visa or MasterCard or Bitcoin or whatever it is? Am I willing to trust God because He said some very firm things? And the question remains whether or not I just live by them or think they're a good idea. Bottom line, it all boils down to whether or not I'm willing to trust God and experience the treasure that He brings into my life. I want to ask you to spend a few moments in quiet and just reflect on this thought. We've got connect cards next to you on the seats. I invite you to take one of those, jot some thoughts down on the back side, either by way of a prayer request or your response to today or just what God is speaking into your heart. And spend some time in quiet and just be like, God, what does it mean for me to trust you in this? Is there some aspect of my life that I've been trying to protect from your involvement or am I really able to trust you in even my finances? Let's spend just a few moments in silence and then we're going to sing a song of surrender. And I think as we do this today, God has the opportunity to begin shaping us and changing us into people who understand His blessings in our lives in an even bigger way. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.